Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a, a founder that I think is going to teach us a bit about, you know, going around the world to build a business, and uh, it's something that you know I got to tell you, I've done a, a lot of those episodes and a lot that you guys may have listened to, but but I think this one is going to be quite unique. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Mark Sears. Welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to be here, and uh, unique is probably a good word. Amazing. So born and raised in Alberta, Canada. Mark, how was life there? Life was good. You know, I, I, it was good until I realized that it didn't snow eight months out of the year everywhere else in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, I grew up near the Rocky Mountains and, you know, was thrilled looking back to just have a, a beautiful place to, to, to grow up. It's been uh, 12 years since we've lived in Canada, but... Um, very fond memories and, of course, family, and we're back there every year. Very nice. So what got you into computers, Mark? You know, it was, uh, like many people, um, you know, it was early on in school for me. It gives away a little bit of my age. It was, remember grade two, we had uh, the opportunity to start playing with Logo and kind of programming the little triangle turtle that goes around the screen. And, you know, I think it was a combination of, of math and logic and loving computer games that just all the way back and it was uh, grade 12 was graduating uh, I started college as a math and economics major and my mom was thinking like well you can be able to get a job she's like why don't remember you used to really like computers why don't you do that so yeah it was literally uh, that first year I made the change into computer science with a business minor and uh, I I was I love I love hacking. I've always loved kind of more from the logic and math perspective and uh, very glad, very glad. It feels like a long time ago, though, since I, I, I don't get to do as much hacking anymore. But uh, that's that's how it all started it was way back doing my uh, computer science, staying up all night and uh, falling in love back in the day with Java was was where it all started for me. And you fell so much in love that uh, you actually were one of those classical dropout stories, which I'm sure that the conversation with your parents was, was not as exciting to have when you had to explain the dropping out. So tell us about dropping out, Mark. Yeah, it's one of those things though, right, where you, at the time you don't say, and you maybe don't think you're dropping out. You're just like, well, 
you know, the point of going to college is to get a good job. And I just got a job at Sun Microsystems working on Java. And that's like my dream. So I'm just going to take a little time off, mom. I think the story probably more went like that. And then, of course, you never go back and finish. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it, it did, in fact, happen that I never quite made it across the finish line and, and yet had a good foundation. And, uh, you know, I love the opportunity to come out and kind of have that big company opportunity, right, of of just working on amazing technologies that I've been using, right, for a few years. Um, and, and also kind of feeling like I was working on a bit of a startup team at the same time. It was the best of both worlds coming out of college. And how did you get that job, uh, having not finished your, your college degree? Yeah, I was, I was very persistent. So it was the, the general manager of a, uh, Sun Microsystems Canada, actually, that came there via an acquisition. And I just kept hammering him you know, over and over and over until finally he relented and said, okay, fine, you can come for a, from a co-op or an internship. So I went, I went for the summer and ended up staying on for a while. And yeah, so it was, uh, he, he pretty much just couldn't avoid me. I was, I was very passionate about Java. I had all over my, uh, my college room was just Java stickers and I mean, I had Java T-shirt. I did everything. It was actually looking back a little embarrassing, but uh, <laughs> that passion drove me to uh, to get that first job, and and certainly was a good launchpad. That's amazing. And then after this, obviously, you went into into different roles. So with uh, some microsystems, you were there for 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 just a little bit, just before you actually you know decided to to jump you know here and there you know with different roles as an engineer and then also as a, product manage, manager. So, so why, why, you know, what, what were some of like those insights that you were getting from the engineering side and then, you know, from going more onto the product uh, management type of role? Yeah, it was, it was just a fantastic ride kind of, you know, out of Sun Microsystems, got to go work for a great startup that, uh, that Sun had as a partner in the time. And it was really great to, to go and get an exposure at another startup. Uh, and then, uh, my manager at Sun Microsystems made the call after his handcuffs came off and he was starting a new company. So I got to come come back and join as employee number one with, with four co-founders and and just go on a great two and a half year run, right? Where we, we raised $48 million. You know, we grew from those five people to offices around the world and, and you know, 140 people. And it was just a a great high growth experience to be a part of. It was kind of the, again, the best of both worlds where you're not the one who's signing and taking the money from the investors, but you kind of get to be, you know, in the room for all of the, the big decisions. Uh, and so it was, it was a fun and it was kind of looking back was the, certainly that intense period that prepared me for a lot of what's happened since. And, and so it was in that that I went from developer to project management and then crossed over to product management. And I think it was, you know, it's the joy of first opening up like a blank screen and just with like typing text, you can create software from nothing. And just that individual developer feel of creating. And then you move to being a project manager. All of a sudden now you're hiring people and you're, you know, coordinating people to again, kind of create something from nothing at that level. And then from a product perspective, right, kind of that mini CEO taste of really getting to look at the entire picture just for one product. 
Um, but again, it's kind of that creating something from nothing. And then of course you kind of get up and do, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're kind of doing it at the whole org level. And, uh, so I think that's been the common pattern for me of just loving the opportunity to build something from nothing and just kind of doing it maybe at different levels, different ways. And was there like uh, some, like, because obviously you had that persistence, you know, like, and it started with some microsystems, how you did not take a no for an answer. So you had that entrepreneurial, you know, uh, aspect in you. Uh, but for example, like in this, in this experience, you know, of being in the hyper growth, raising the money, I mean, was there like one thing uh, from that specific experience that you really told yourself, if I ever uh, start my own business, this is something that I absolutely am going to do, you know, that perhaps you learned during this, during this, during this chapter? Yeah, you know what, I would, uh, it feels like you know me, because that question hits pretty deep. The only change I would make is, you know, one thing that you wouldn't do. I think that was my biggest takeaway was, um, you know, we came so hard out of the gate in such a, you know, uh, really pushing the marketing side of the business, right? So the hype cycle um, was was really big. And so I was on the product side. And, and it was really hard, because you know, we're out there making claims that I knew that we couldn't back up. And that's always a hard tension. <laughs> but yeah. um, I think the pendulum for me really swung the other way as, as certainly as we've been building Cloud Factory, it's, it's been the other side of saying like, you know what, let's take our time, let's build a strong foundation. Um, I've been on the other side, and it was it was a fantastic ride. But I want to build something great for the long term. And I know that we need substance and it takes it takes some time to do that um to do it well and to do it in a healthy way and so i i think that it was probably more of a pendulum swinging the other way was the biggest takeaway of again very thankful for the opportunity and the people no question but that was probably my biggest takeaway and how do you balance that because obviously you have like the two schools of thought here like the uh, sell it and then you figure out how you deliver or the build and they will come kind of mentality. So, so how do you balance, you know, those, those, those two schools of thought there? Yeah, you know, it is, it's, it's always going to be attention. I think, you know, we had a little bit of, I would say advantage, right. In building cloud factory, kind of given a very low cost base, right. Um, you know, we, we started the company in Nepal. We, um, we just were able to be more patient. I think even in some ways, just like life is slower in different parts of the world. Uh, and, and so things were a little bit slower. There was less pressure and, uh, and, and just financially we were able to go a little bit slower. So I think, I think setting like anything, setting yourself up to allow, um, a little bit more time for the build, um, I think is, is obviously going to be important. And, um, so I think the pendulum maybe swung a little bit too far in our case, right? The whole idea, like build something and, you know, they will come, uh, we probably made a little bit of that mistake, but we were able to afford to make that mistake. And, you know, and the good news is, is the market wins played into what we built. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I think it's always a tension and, you know, it's us also selling something, selling something's different though. I think when you're more marketing something. Um, it's, it's, uh, I think that's probably more of the, the place we went into of marketing something. We didn't even know if people were going to buy, uh, so we didn't sell it and we didn't build it. We just market something. 
Got it. Got it. And this for you was a very nice segue into your own uh, business, Godspeed Computing. Uh, and, and and pretty interesting, you know, like the, the experience there. So can you tell us about this? Yeah, it was really coming out of my time at Zucato of, I think, you know, wanting to start a business, thinking more like lifestyle business, right? Just I love the high growth, but I needed a season of just maybe building something, uh, A, that I could understand a little bit more of the meaning and, and B, that I could kind of keep it in a way that wouldn't completely take over life, right? So it went from, you know, the usual stories of two and a half years on an airplane every week, sleeping under your desk for four hours, working 20 hours. I mean, it was just the intense craziness that a lot of people have, you know, in their in their, uh, in their their 20s. And so it was a little bit, again, of the pendulum swinging. And um, it was a, it was just a great opportunity to, to get some of the fundamentals of being an entrepreneur. And, it, and that lifestyle business, you know, ended up licensing our software to a publisher and getting royalties. And it really freed up um, the opportunity for when, you know, my wife got married to my beautiful wife in uh, 2006. And, and she wanted to take an opportunity uh, as, a, as an accountant overseas. She got uh, kind of transferred for three months and we didn't have kids. Um, you know, we were pretty small as a company collecting those royalties. And so I said, I can work from anywhere. So that really kind of set us up. I think both having some fundamentals as an entrepreneur, but also some flexibility to, to head overseas. And we've kind of been on a, on a 12 year, like you said, around the world tour, uh, building cloud factory ever since. So, so thankful for, again, that I think that foundation that I got and then also the flexibility that I had so that when we, we, we got the call to go, it was, it was literally, I remember sitting across, um, from my wife, we were both working from home and she just said like, Hey, do you want to go to Qatar? And I was like, sure. Like what's Qatar? I've never heard of that. Uh, three weeks later, you know, I remember Googling and looking and see where it was. And three weeks later, we were on a plane and literally kind of haven't been back to Canada other than to visit since. And uh, so, yeah, that that's really where where the fun the fun began. That's amazing. And obviously, this uh, this was also a trigger to um, schedule a two week uh, trip to Nepal that ended up uh, being years. So, so what happened? Yeah. So we. We met a lot of amazing people from Nepal uh, in Canada, but then also when we were in Doha, there's a huge number of Nepalis there, and and you know, two of my best friends were Nepali, and um, and we really wanted to go, and so like I said, we we didn't have kids, we wanted to travel, um, and and that was on the list, and so we we booked our trip, and we went actually to to go with uh, with our good friend who uh, was going back. And every two years, he, he got to go home for two months, but he was in kind of a very common cycle of people from Nepal and South Asia and, and really quite a few developing countries where they, they get pulled into this, this cycle of, of leaving their homes because there's no work and then going to work abroad uh, two years and then come back for two months and two years and then come back for two months. And, you know, we had our friends who were trying to parent literally over cell phones, right, just hearing all these conversations of them trying to parent and they'd been 10 years, they'd been working overseas away from their families. And so it was with that, that we were excited to go back with, with our friend. Uh, and he was there to meet his two year old son for the first time. And, and it was just a very powerful, a powerful time of seeing a beautiful country of, um, you know, meeting amazing people. 
and falling in, we, we'd already had fallen in love with people from Nepal, but we really fell in love with the country of Nepal. And it was at the end of that trip that we, we met, uh, we met three young computer software developers and, uh, it was just literally eating pizza at a cafe in Kathmandu. And, uh, it was kind of through some conversations that they really wanted to learn Ruby on rails. That was a, a language that I'd been working with for a couple of years. It was really early, um, back then. And, they were just really wanting to learn it. And I kind of looked and said, well, I could probably stay for a couple of weeks. And uh, <laughs> next thing I know, next thing I know, I always remember my wife, like I was changing the ticket and then I went and bought an iMac. The only iMac I could find in Kathmandu was not easy. And we started spending, you know, the mornings, uh, four of us around uh, an iMac, pair programming, uh, learning Ruby on Rails. And um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, my wife was always like, well, it's going to, going to lose a little bit of money on the iMac, but you know, it's keeping them entertained. And so, so yeah, that, that, that three extra weeks of, of training, um, turned into a project. People were kind of asking, Hey, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm training up some developers in rails. They're like, what? You've got rails developers. Can you do a project? And so we extended the ticket again for three months. And, um, and so, yeah, it really went from a two week vacation to three weeks of training to a three month project to, just staying and living there for six years, having our two beautiful kids and, you know, really um, Nepal becoming like home in many ways, more home as long as we've been uh, anywhere as, as a family. And it's just really changed our, changed our lives in so many ways. And obviously the, the company uh, being born there as well, Cloud Factory. So, yeah. so tell us about, <laughs> yeah, the third kid. But yeah. on this one, you know, it's there's an exit. On the real kids, there's no exits. Only, <laughs> uh, you know, like break even when they let you sleep at night, no? Which, uh, which is important too. But uh, but here, obviously, you you brought uh, to life Cloud Factory during during this journey uh, as well. There, so so tell us about this. Yeah, so it, you know, really started with building software. So we just started just training up developers and and just finding really smart, young, talented, they, you know, they came out of a four year computer engineering degree. Um, and yet there was a gap between that and being able to, to develop, you know, at a world-class software level. And so kind of a boot camp and a training and just all that was really what we focused on. And we started hiring more and more uh, developers and doing more and more projects, mostly building MVPs for startups kind of at the seed stage or series A stage. And, and it was great. Again, it was kind of on the on the path of being another lifestyle business, and it was just it was it was beautiful, right? We were living cross culturally, and you know, learning learning the poly, the language, uh, just just have just loving it. But what started to happen was all these companies kept asking um, not just to build their software, but they had all this data work they needed to do, and so you know they forced us to use things like Amazon Mechanical Turk, and they wanted us to hire, you know. Uh, freelancers off of Elance and stuff back then. And just, we just realized that, wait a second, like all these companies, they need to categorize images or moderate content, or they need to uh, annotate or extract information from videos or go out and collect information from the internet. It's all these crazy things that powered their business model. And they kept coming back to us. But can't you just hire a warehouse of people in Nepal and just do this work for us? And I was really offended. I'm like, we are a high-end software boutique. We do not do your data work. Um, and of course, so I'm also, you know, like you said, as an entrepreneur, you keep hearing over and over and people are trying to put money on 
extra money on their invoice to get us to do stuff. And you're like, wait a second, like maybe there's something here. There's a really big pain point. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we saw that demand in the market, but the other side was, you know, we're living in Nepal. Me and my wife are in a community outside, just outside of Kathmandu where we're the only business in town other than like, like little, you know, shops, you know, and restaurants and barely even that. And so everyone's asking us for jobs and they're really smart, educated, um, but we were only hiring computer engineers, but there's all these other people. And we're like, wait a second, like there's a huge supply of talent. We've got a huge demand in the market. We're here building uh, platforms for all these other companies. We need to build our own. And so that started like many companies, you know, you're kind of a services company and you start building your own product or platform on the side. And, and that's really how it started it was literally we went away for a retreat over New Year's. So it was like January 1st, 2010 and laid out a, a vision, right? Kind of a lot at the time was kind of um, really maybe opposed a little bit. Like, you know, the enemy at the time was probably Amazon Mechanical Turk and just saying, wow, like being able to send work to the cloud and, and have it come back in minutes with high quality and you know that's amazing but of course the reality was not there and, and so we had some theses on on you know why that wasn't true and how we might be able to build something different and so that that's what started that week you know we came back and started building a platform and started building a workforce model and really pairing those things together and experimenting and saying okay you know, do you put people in teams and when do they work from home? When do they work in an office? And how do we do training and how do you assess and how do you, you know, manage performance and capacity and just all these challenges were just, I mean, it was, we love it, right? The challenges of, of, um, coordinating people at scale towards a, you know, a single outcome, like high quality, consistent data you know, it doesn't sound fascinating maybe to a lot of people, but you know what? We've spent 10 years on it and we love it. There's just so many fascinating problems when you kind of put together people, process, and technology. And so that's what we've been doing is just really iterating on that platform and the, uh, the process and the workforce model to say, how do we deliver easy cloud labor to the world? How do we make it so easy for someone to just get access to scalable, secure, agile, flexible um, uh, cloud labor or human intelligence. And, and so for us, that's what we've been going after. Then, of course, what happened was uh, data has always been valuable, but with the rise of machine learning, uh, AI, and just the, the deep learning breakthroughs of saying, wow, if we can get a huge amount of high-quality data, we can train up models that will change the world. And so data has become more and more valuable. And we just kind of found out five years ago that we're you know, some of the best in the world at doing this because of what we've built. And so that's really been the story of the last five years is beginning to get under the hood with hundreds of companies that are building unbelievable uh, machine learning models in every every part of business and life that you can imagine. I mean, the things that we are, are getting to come alongside and, and help these teams build, right, for, you know, within the enterprise, consumer products, you know, financial services, to agriculture, to sports, to retail, I mean, every vertical, you name it, computer vision, NLP, um, predictive analytics, it is, it is, 
it's a fun time to be uh, to be doing what we're doing. Some people say, you know, the picks and shovels of the uh, you know the AI revolution um, is is kind of where we find ourselves. But you know what? Yeah. It's fun fun time. Yeah, no, totally, I get it. And and obviously, uh, one of the fun times for you guys was racing the seed round because yeah. I'm sure that you were trying to connect with investors. And they were like, who the hell are these guys, you know, yeah. trying to contact me from Kathmandu? They were like, what the hell? So, yeah. so how, how did you raise that seed round? Yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was a thing. Which, you know, the good thing was we were, we were bootstrapping, right? So we, we, we had our services business that was paying our bills. So consulting was paying the product development fees. Our costs were low. So we were, we were in a pretty good place. But, you know, we weren't able to get ahead of it, right? We weren't able to make the investment into into technology and teams to really go more aggressively after growth. So we we did want to raise a seed round, and it was it was just again a chance connection at a conference in Thailand, you know, with someone who was talking about starting up a small fund of investing into emerging economies. And um, honestly, I didn't think there was anything from it. Like I took his card, but I I think I threw it out. I, I honestly. It was more that he actually followed up and lo and behold, they started raising a fund and we were in a pretty good place, ready to raise a seed round. And, um, I remember, you know, flying to Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina for the first time for due diligence and kind of meeting and, and, you know, these people flew over to Nepal and, you know, they wrote us a $700,000 check. I mean, I thought they were, I thought they were crazy, honestly. I'm like, so, you know, we didn't run a process. We we didn't look at a lot of options. Um, and yet it kind of just came together. And, and, you know, there's no way we would be where we are today without without that uh, and without them. I mean, it's it certainly was much more, like a lot of people will say. Sometimes it's just money. Oftentimes at the seed stage, it has to be more than that. And so, you know, Henry Kastner came on, um, you know, came onto our board, came a, a good friend. Um, became a mentor and, you know, really the, the whole, the whole, uh, fund, right. We just, we had them fly over with a frozen Turkey, literally on carry on so that we could, you know, have a Turkey in Nepal for Thanksgiving. Uh, we had, um, my daughter was with teething as a baby and they spent like a couple hundred dollars to overnight FedEx teething biscuits from, from the U S. Um, we had them bring over, hundreds of pounds of cheese, right? Because you couldn't get good cheese. And I mean, the way that they like loved on us, took care of us, um, you know, held us accountable. Uh, you know, it, I just, I, I can't even imagine. Um, yeah. So it's, so it's at a really high bar right off the bat for investors that truly care about us as people care about our mission and our why. Uh, but also bring some serious experience in business savvy. You know, building a you know a billion dollar tech company uh, himself was obviously in a good position to really help us navigate a lot of the early stuff. Yeah. So, so in this case, how much money have you guys raised today? Uh, so we raised about seventy eight million today. So most of that obviously came just recently during uh, our sixty five million dollars Series C. And on this last one, you guys were wondering whether it would make sense. To bring an investment banker uh, on board or not? So, uh, so tell us about that. Yeah, so you know, we we did obviously our seed and then our A, A and our B rounds, you know, ourselves. Um, and so, the idea, obviously, you're dealing with a bigger amount of money, and yeah, it was it was a big decision, right? It was something that I've never done before. Our, our CFO, he's done before, and so I think he had more 
comfort and confidence. Um, but even as a board, we just weren't sure if it was if something that was worth doing. And uh, a lot of it was because we we were shopping for uh, growth capital in different ponds, you could say, right? So, you know, we are extremely mission driven. Uh, we, you know, we are all about, uh, you know, the, the vision of connecting a million people to online work, meaningful online work and, and going on a journey to become leaders worth following. So like raising up leaders around the world, you know, via this online work platform, that's what gets us super excited. And so we started talking to a lot of impact investors and then we're talking to venture, you're talking to growth equity, you're talking to just all these flavors of investors that are out there today. And so we did decide to talk to someone who we really felt kind of understood um, globally, right? So he'd, he'd worked on a lot of different deals, like did a pretty large deal, $50 million deal out of Africa, um, had offices in New York and London and uh, really seemed to get us. And so we kind of found like a boutique investment banker and then decided to take the plunge. And wow, he helped navigate a crazy nine months that I could not imagine. I could not imagine uh, that we would have made it to the finish line without his help. So money well spent. That's amazing. So how big are you guys today? We are, we're going pretty fast. I mean, we've got about 380 full-time employees across our four offices. We've got about 5,000, uh, we call them cloud workers, are actually logging onto our platform every day to do our work. Um, and yeah, we've been, we've been, we had a, a good run of growing probably about 100% year over year for four years. Um, so yeah, the business has got some, some good momentum. That's really cool. But obviously, you know, on being able to achieve this momentum uh, and having that growth trajectory, obviously there is some bumps on the way. And I know that you had one of those, you know, especially with one of your accounts getting frozen in Hong Kong. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. So back, back fairly early on, um, you know, we, our headquarters was in Hong Kong. And so all of our contracts, all of our money came into Hong Kong. And uh, therefore, that's where the cash was. And yet, most of our expenses were in Nepal and Kenya. And so that account had a hold on it, it kind of got frozen. And uh, that caused, as you can imagine, a lot of havoc, right? So it's, it's one thing to not have a lot of money as a startup. It's another to actually have a little bit but not be able to access it. And so that was a crazy time that, you know, had us essentially, uh, you know, I flew to Hong Kong twice. One of those times was literally going into the bank, like headquarters, like sitting in the lounge. I went and got a huge bag's worth of food and I just sat there and I said, I'm not leaving until I get access to our money. You know, we've got hundreds and hundreds of people uh, who are depending on, uh, you know, on, on, on paychecks. And so, and so I literally stayed there for hours and finally someone came out and they essentially said, okay, we're going to open up access for 15 minutes. So get your computer ready. You can take up to, I think it was like $250,000 out. So we took 250, it was the panic of logging in oh and I, I was sweating and it was, it was, it was a, it was fairly intense trip. Actually, I've had a lot of intense trips to, to Hong Kong okay. over the years. Um, but uh, you know, that, that battle of just, you know, doing business globally, we, we call it sometimes like, you know, a micro multinational startup. It's easier than ever to go and to incorporate and, to, you know, to do a lot of things. But there's still a lot of a lot of challenges of doing business globally. And so, yeah, it, it's uh, 
there's a lot of stories there. Absolutely. And obviously, uh, you know, the um, the tough moments also create, you know, at the end of the day, the culture of companies and especially how we how we behave, you know, when, when those moments, you know, are in front of us. And I know that uh, when the earthquake happened in Nepal, you know, there were uh, quite a bit of families, uh, 1,400 families that you know, were part of the family of, of Cloud Factory. And, and the way you really handle that, you know, I'm sure that people were very inspired. So, um, so everyone was trying to get out, but you were trying to get in. So what was going through your head? Wow. You know, that's a, that's a tough one. You know, literally uh, goosebumps and, uh, you know, just that whole topic of, of that window of time is, is, is just a crazy, crazy thing. Um, I, I, I remember, uh, waking up, hearing about the earthquake. I just got back, um, to the U S I'd been in Nepal, you know, a week before and getting on a plane and I was flying from, from Raleigh, Durham to New York. And I was bawling in the airplane, literally just, you know, the people beside me, which just thought I was crazy. I just couldn't stop. And so from there, um, I ended up transferring in Doha to go to Nepal. It's a very common route. And we had friends because, you know, we lived there um, and we had friends who met us at the airport and handed us like $10,000 worth of cash. I I remember uh, in all the airports along the way, I was maxing out every card I could to pull as much cash as possible because that's kind of what the team said. It's like the banks are closed. We don't have cash. We can't buy goods, right? And so I was trying to get as much cash as possible. And literally during my transfer, I met someone who handed me that money. Uh, I we I stuffed it into every corner of you know my outfit, and and it, you know we ended up not being able to get into Kathmandu right away. We got rerouted into Kolkata and. Finally, finally, we were able to land, and uh, I walked in to see our team uh, just caring for one another. Uh, they were so organized and determined. I mean, there was, it was, you know, we were using Trello boards and using start, you know, stand-ups and, you know, every kind of agile development technique that we'd been doing for years to build our business was now being applied to how do we help? How do we help our community? How do we help make sure that the 1,400 families that now depend on Cloud Factory in Nepal at that point, like how do we, and, and we saw, you know, young leaders step up. We saw, um, you know, it was, it was a crazy hard time. Um, I think coming out of the back of it, you know, it, you know, with hindsight, we look at our, we look at our revenue chart over the, over the years, over the last 10 years, and our inflection point was right after that. And I remember one of our leaders got up kind of sharing her story of what happened and, and you know, so many people that, uh, you know, just didn't know if they were going to make it during the earthquake and, you know, kind of came out of it and was just like, you know what, we've, we've made it through this. We can make it through ev- anything together. And, and that really was kind of how we came out of it, right? It's certainly not what you ever want to happen, but obviously through some of the hardest things that we have individually and collectively as companies, that's that's what, you know, makes us stronger and prepares us for for what's ahead. And there's no question that that the, the Nepal earthquake did that for Cloud Factory. Wow. How powerful. How powerful, Mark. So, so obviously, you know, here you've been, you know, with this journey with, with Cloud Factory for for quite a bit 
and I'm sure that, you know, like during this journey, I mean, since 2010, I mean, there's been all types of like the good, the bad, the ugly, the successes, the mistakes, the things that didn't work out as intended. So you've, you've probably really learned a lot. So if you had that chance to, let's say, go back in time, Mark, and, and have a chat with, with that younger self, with your younger Mark, what would be that piece of business advice that you would give to, to that younger Mark before launching a business and why, knowing what you know now? I think that, you know, playing off of a, what, you know, we kind of, you know, the, the trail we just wandered down together, <laughs> you know, it, it leads me to that path, right. Of, like you said, it, 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 you never know what's going to happen. Like it is hard to to build a business if you're thinking anything less than 10 years, right? I mean, yes, you can build and flip and, you know, there can be some outcomes, but I mean, when you're really trying to build something and do something meaningful, you need to think about, can I give 10 years of my life and have an unbelievable amount of twists and turns and pain and obstacles? You know, you need to, you need to bust through doors. And so there's no question that, um, you know, I think for me, it's, it's, it really is, is the why, right? It's like, you have to know why you're doing what you're doing and you need to have clarity around that. And that's something we've spent a lot of time really understanding, you know, what is the purpose of this business? Like what's unique about this? Like not just our what and the product and, and maybe I'm sounding a little bit like Simon Sinek and, you know, the, the whole, uh, uh, golden circles, but you know, I, I just, I do think that that's the most important thing is to really build something that can bring change in the world. You need to understand why, because it's not going to be easy. There's only levels of hard. And so, yeah, finding your why and then finding great people around you to, to go through it. And, you know, if you know why you're doing what you're doing, and you can have a group of people where you build strong relationship and have fun together doing it. You know, that that's, I, I think, you know, no matter what technology or what industry you're in, uh, that's the magic formula. I love it. And I'm glad that you touch on, on thinking ahead, not 10 years, because people typically don't think that far ahead. And, and unfortunately, people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they completely underestimate what they can do in a decade. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So, so for the folks that are listening, Mark, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm fine with the good old fashioned email. I've thrown it out there before and, and some people take me up. So, you know, good old Mark at cloudfactory.com. If you really want to get a hold, I'd be happy to talk. Uh, otherwise you can hit me on Twitter at Mark T. Sears. Amazing. Mark, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you. It was fun. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.